The content of this episode includes discussions of sexual abuse, trauma, and suicide, and may be triggering for some listeners. Please listen with care, and if you're struggling with your own mental health, please text HOME to the crisis text line 741741. Welcome. I'm Laura Lee Vinstock, host of a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. November is around the corner and it is a month dedicated to veterans and Veterans Day honoring those who have served our country. Sadly, veterans are a large majority of people suffering from trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. Traumatic events such as military combat, assault, disasters, or sexual assault can have long-lasting negative effects such as trouble sleeping, anger, nightmares, and alcohol and drug abuse, among others. When untreated, these symptoms can develop into PTSD. A psychiatry study found the rate of PTSD to be 15 times higher in military men and women and veterans than in civilians. In this episode, I'm joined by Sergeant Carolyn Martin and finalist for the Miss Veteran America competition, a program that raises awareness for female veteran issues. Sergeant Martin, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Well, you really are the epitome of a trauma survivor, Thriver, even before you were in the military. You know, in the military, you had so many accolades, including, but not limited to, the Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal, National Defense Medal, and the Global War on Terrorism Service Medal. (laughs) I mean, I could go on. I feel like there was so much that you've done in your life, but you've also struggled with PTSD and suicidal ideations, um, suffered from emotional and physical and sexual abuse as a child, and then military sexual trauma. Could you share your story for me and our listeners? Um, So growing up there, uh, at some point, whether I'll ever know the truth from one per- one parent side to the other, um, is I was taken away from my father. So I kind of grew up not knowing who my father was. I thought somebody else was. Um, and during that time, um, growing up, I that's where I faced the emotional and physical abuse. And then I lived um, in Texas for a couple of years once I found my father and I... Um, this was a whole new family to me. I had no idea they existed. Little did I know that I had come across them, um, but I didn't know that they were family. I just thought they were random kids, you know, from the neighborhood we were in visiting Texas. So when I did move down to Texas to live with my father and his like brand new family, um, I was really excited. And our, my grandfather, my paternal grandfather and grandmother lived right across the pasture. Like we lived on the same land. So he could just walk, you know, 50 yards maybe. And one evening, my grandfather and I, whether it was the moon or something going on with Mars, he was really into telescopes. He was really intelligent. And so myself and my younger stepsister were supposed to be out there waiting for whatever to happen and look at it. Well, my younger stepsister had left. So it ended up just being myself and my grandfather And, um, that's when he attempted to molest me. He asked me to go into his travel trailer, which was, you know, not far from where we were sitting. 
And I just remember freezing and like not moving. I'm like, you know, um, cause at some point he put his hand on my leg and I was just like, I just remember, I was just like, Oh my, like, ugh, like, you know, leave me alone. I was just like, no, I remember telling him no, no over and over again. And I still sat out there waiting for my stepsister to come back and didn't really know what to do or how to act. And so I waited a whole, you know, almost 24 hours, or I guess not 24 hours, but the next day. And I'm like, who do I, who do I tell? Like, I don't even know this family this well. Um, so I did make a phone call and then next thing I know, like all the family showing up, I remember my dad peeling into the driveway. Um, I, I remember him like just sitting there chain smoking with a weapon there, um, laying in front of him. If I recall correctly, a nine millimeter. And I was like, everybody's like, just calm down. Like we, I guess just from, if I understood correctly, they were more worried about like him killing his own father. Um, and then, um, I remember being like kind of like out in the pasture and um, ultimately uh, the the grandfather committed suicide, but it wasn't a year later that I turned around and then my father's being charged as a sex offender and I'm his victim and there was another victim involved. And um, again, it wasn't like any type of actually what we considered assault. Um, but it ended up being, you know, a felony charge. How old were you? 14 when I was um, forced to go back to North Carolina. And then I came because I finished like just the tail end of eighth grade up there. And then that summer we ended up moving to back to Texas and, or I ended up moving back to Texas. They moved to Texas and we stayed with my maternal grandmother for some time. And then things just escalated from there. I mean, there was a point that I ran away from my mom's house to my grandmother's uh, business associate because my grandmother's a, a licensed professional counselor and owns her own private, private practice down there that I ran to her business associates um, house, which was like contiguous to our neighborhood and said, told them like, if, if you make me go back, I'm going to kill myself 14 years old, 15 years old. I'm not doing this. Like I, I, I can't live like this in Texas victims advocacy will pay for the victim to get therapy and stuff like that. And there's, so there's allocated funds for that. And so I ended up seeing a therapist that worked with children for some time. And then it was just kind of a goal of like, I just have to survive each week. I have to survive each week. And then ultimately if I graduate early in the state of Texas at 17, you can either be emancipated or, but if you're graduated, you're done, you're an adult and you can, cause you can be charged as an adult you can leave as an adult. We didn't grow up as women because it was my mom and two two girls um, with our bodies like being sexualized to us. You know, it was it was just a body. So with what happened, I didn't understand that it was wrong at that age, uh, around 13, 14 years old. I didn't, when I had to do the police report myself, I thought I was in trouble. So it took me some time into adulthood to understand what my father did was wrong. So there wasn't really any animosity or hard feelings against him because I was kind of confused. So um, he was kind of back in the picture. He's the one that, you know, agreed and, and kind of helped me start college. So then I, at 17, I, I left in January, 2007 and, and went to the Marine Corps. Did you feel like that was your only way out? Yes. I felt like if I stayed in Corsicana, Texas, that I wasn't going to survive. You still have a relationship with him? Not as of now, I do not. Prior to me opening up about this, um, 
I did. And I've been a public speaker in this area for about four years, almost five years now. So this isn't the first time that it's been spoken, but COVID has pushed virtual and, and opened me to this whole new world of podcasts and virtual interviews and stuff like that, or, or um, newspapers. And I've spread them on social media. I'm not um, holding anything back. And that whole family, despite my older brother, who I are really close, again, like I said, he he's told me now he knew that I wasn't lying because he experienced more than I could ever like stomach at this point. Um, know how many victims have been victims in that family. They've always kind of praised me and been proud of me and everything I've accomplished. And then just turned around and started threatening me and questioning me. And, you know, then I, I literally calling me a perpetrator and I've had to literally go in. I had to contact Miss Veteran America, let them know what was going on. I had to contact my fellow contestants because if they reached out to them um, to just kind of let them go on. And it was, um, and at first I started to start like the star telegram, which is our big newspaper in Fort Worth, Texas. I was like starting to pull my answers back from that. And then I said, no, that's when I decided right there. I said, this is why victims stay silent right. and I'm not going to be silent. You really should be extremely proud of yourself um, for telling your story because you know, even I knew, because I was also sexually abused by my father, it really was, it was really hard for me to talk about it. I didn't talk about it for over 20 years. Um, but eventually, it was like my fifth suicide attempt. And I had to go to residential treatment. And then once I was able to say it, and I said it for the first time in group, other people started talking about it. And I think that's what your story is doing and will be doing and helping so many people just by talking about your own personal story and then everybody seeing what you've done since then. I mean, it's incredible. Like people who've had the perfect life growing up don't even have the accolades that you do. So, I mean, you should really be proud of yourself. You are literally the epitome of a trauma survivor thriver. <laughs> but um, I do want to get into you using the military as an ex escape from all of this abuse. And I'm just curious if, you know, as a female in male-dominated mm -hmm. profession, were you aware of the sexism in the military going in? Absolutely not. I only knew at that time what commercials showed us that they were the elite they were the best this was going to be the most difficult and when people ask why i chose the marine corps um because they were the only branch at the time that didn't make you cut your hair and honestly and then that was the first recruiter called me back i went with it but my hair was really important to me not to cut for some reason and i said you know what why not? I've done all this in my life. Why not pick the most challenging branch? And so I had no, absolutely no idea that, uh, I'd never dealt with sexism at all. So I wouldn't even been able to tell you what that was at that, that point in my life. Well, I know that you, you also dealt with military sexual trauma. Um, Correct. what, what was that like for you? Um, especially well, with what you've gone through when it started happening i felt like i lost again 
I felt like I escaped for what? I feel like I'm right back in the same situation I tried to get myself out of. And it was horrible. Um, I wasn't just, I wasn't ready for, I mean, at first really the harassment, just the like, it was almost like we owed it to male Marines to give them what they wanted, especially if they were intoxicated. There was no respect there. It didn't matter. Um, and we learned in, and we came in with a bad name and I'm like, you know, then, then just the derogatory names that they had for female Marines. And we all fell into that category and I'm, I'm, a, I'm an alpha female, I'm ape type personality. Um, when it comes to the, the military type stuff, otherwise I'm a turtle, <laughs> I'm an introvert. <laughs> um, but I said, I'm done. I'm, you're not going to do this to me. I've, I've had enough and, and I'm going to say something. I'm going to speak up because if I don't, then who will? And you'll keep doing this to somebody and I'm not putting up with this. I don't deserve this. Um, I earned being a Marine. This is my rank. And just because you're a higher rank doesn't mean that you get to do what you're doing to me. So I learned uh, really quickly though, that opening your mouth just leads to, um, a career for repercussions that followed me everywhere and I couldn't go with any like legitimately male friend and everybody seemed to know about this sex life I had that I didn't know about and so it was just if you didn't give them the time of day then it was just a rumor mill and um it just never stopped uh and then especially that the the specific marine that I first had an issue with was supposed to be um, discharged from the military after that current contract only for me to see him a couple of years later. Um, and I had no idea I was leaving the current um, air station to go to physical therapy and I ride a sports bike. And so now still do. And I was then I went to get on it and this bike pulled up behind me and I'm like, you know, we all have the, the MOS I was in is called GSE or ground support equipment. They, we all had a mo our own motorcycle parking. So we all know who rode what bike. So when this bike pulls up, I can't see the full face helmet, full jacket. And then I hear his voice. And I remember my feet feeling like they had just melted or my boots melted into the asphalt. And I couldn't move. And all I remember him saying was, well, look, who's looking good. Dixon because that was my, my, that's my former name. And, um, and he had been promoted. He had held higher billets. He was clearly right down this you know, street in California, a different air station. And, um, but in Afghanistan, the same thing happened. Um, I couldn't go anywhere without, um, wondering if, if something was going to happen to me. And I, because I went from, Camp Leatherneck or Bastion, which is our large base, and I was harassed and I was harassed to the point that they sent me down to Camp Dwyer. Then I literally was the only female. Wow. Oh um, and it's a more dangerous base on top of that because we had so many Afghan nationals there working the base. So our weapons were in a different condition um, as far as being or ready to be in a firefight for, um, on Camp Dwyer versus Camp Bastion. And I was only female. So we would work midnight to noon or noon to midnight. Either way, you're still at some point in the dark. And so that's what I dealt. I mean, every time I walked back and forth, I took that chance of something. 
something happening and and it did um i just i that is one part of me that um when i did emdr treatment um following all of this i haven't gotten there yet so i was severely hurt um but i had learned to keep my mouth shut and because i just knew nothing was going to come of it um and so that's i just didn't see that, that coming and you're a female marine and we're supposed to be you know the baddest of them all and to not be able to defend yourself and not be in um and then knowing that your own brothers did that to you you're out there in afghanistan this is where we're supposed to be at war we're supposed to have each other's back you know this this is our family and and you're doing this to each other just saying that when you spoke up there were repercussions so do you believe that the military is not doing enough to address military sexual trauma no not at all i think they should be doing i think exactly what's happening now with the vanessa gillian act after everything and and rest that um sister's soul um because i don't live that far from fort hood mm. and that is what is needed to be done and that's what should have been done a long time ago because that's exactly what happens the very last time that i dealt with sexual harassment i had already put in my realism package they wanted to retain me and keep me in and were offering everything but it happened again with another marine in front of all of our other marines in our like shop like where we worked and I said, I'm done. I'm pressing charges. I'm not dealing with you anymore. I, we've gone toe to toe because honestly, too, at the beginning, I would just physically fight them. I honestly would just physically get in fights because I didn't know how to make sure that you knew you're not going to mess with me. You're not going to touch me. You're not going to hurt me. I don't care what size you are. I don't care if I can actually win the whole deal. But it did seem to work that they realized that I'm, I'm not the one to be messed with. And I, it did take me some time to have thicker skin and I'll never forget our officer in charge and our staff um, non-commissioned officer in charge begging me, pleading me, offering anything for me to retract the charges. And um, I said, no, I'm not going to because this Marine has done this for a long time. We went to school together. I'm not doing this anymore. He needs to be held responsible, but he was up for re-enlistment and was going to be getting a $30,000 bonus to go to a different MOS. So, I was not supposed to ruin his career, but he, it was okay for him to act the way that he acted as a married man and a father to a couple children, if I remember correctly. So I decided to get out and they reenlisted him. He's still in the Marine Corps today. He received his $30,000 bonus and charges were never pressed. So he's probably still out there doing what he did to you and other people. Most likely. Wow. So, what and so the example of that is with the vanessa gillian act it's supposed to remove that chain of command from having any type of impact because that example i gave you is exactly what the chain of command does they protect their own they need to make sure stuff swept under the rug they don't care what actually happens we need to just adapt overcome suck it up and keep pushing forward and i get that in a combat sense or in military sense but not as humans just because we put on that uniform does not make us 
less of a person. We still have rights. We are still women. We are still men. And it's illegal as a, you know, in the mm-hmm. civilian side. So it should be illegal in the military. There shouldn't be any way to, to cover that up. So they didn't do anything back then. I am praying that both the house and the Senate together can agree that this has got to change because you're going to see more and more stories coming out and you have coming out of Fort hood. It's been bad. It literally would turn the military upside down in a good way. If the Vanessa Gillian act is, is passed and it allows victims because males are victims too. There's definitely females not alone in that. They're just may not be as many statistically, but there are, they also are less likely to speak up as well because of the pride. And um, so in, taking the chain of command out of that, allowing the military members to report outside of the chain of command to somebody they can actually trust and make sure that those things don't get, it's almost like a conspiracy crooked, you know, living somewhere with, you know, bad cops or something and, or, or just crooked politicians or you name it. It's exactly what it's like. So they will do something different, but that act has to be passed in order for it to change. Otherwise it won't. I know you said you didn't really ex- don't feel like you experienced trauma with the first sexual assault with your grandfather, but I mean that, I mean, I feel like it sounds like a lot of traumatic stuff happening. And I don't know if you've read the book, the body keeps the score, you know, in your child's mind, you probably just didn't want to think about it, but your body knew that there was something really wrong with all of this. Um, and so that makes me wonder, when did you start experiencing symptoms of PTSD? I had anxiety for sure and never knew it was anxiety. It wasn't until after I transitioned out of the military and I immediately started cosmetology school for whatever reason. I mean, it was great (laughs) that I did that. I love that I did it. It was a phenomenal part of my life, but it was during that time in the transition that I realized I wasn't okay mentally Um, between the depression, the unknown, just trying to wrap my head. I was, then I told myself, I let that person ruin my career. I, you know, to me, I was a life rib. This was going to be my life. I was going to retire. And instead I walked away because of him. And so then I felt like he won the Marines won again. And so that sent me in a downward spiral. I stopped, you know, outside of going to cosmetology school, I did stop going places. I found myself not doing anything. I just didn't have, you know, healthy habits as far as like eating or exercising. And I pretty much was, was shutting down. Um, even though I had learned real to be, to be able to portray being okay when internally I wasn't and I was shutting down. So it was mainly after I was transitioning that I realized that that part of the trauma had really caught up to me. And there was times in the, in the military that as I got older and saw different things that the understanding that what I endured as a child was a trauma had started to be brought in and affected me at that point because I did see mental health 
quite a few times in the military and it was just a, a pill game. Try this one. Okay. Try this one. Mm. Okay. Try. Um, and it just, and there's not ever stable therapists because they're typically contracted. So they do rotations. So you don't stay with one person to really go through a thorough treatment or, you know, treatment plan. So it was after that. And that's when I decided when my chocolate lab who I'd already had, um, since he was a puppy, I was like, I will go places if he's with me. So as long as he can go with me, like I'm good. So then I started looking for service organizations and ultimately he is a service dog. He was certified in 2013 by next up service dogs. Both of us were, and, um, he's still my service dog. Now he's still a working dog. And that really started to change. But what I did do is, and ultimately that's all I really had. <laughs> so that it's like almost like him, he saved my life because I couldn't leave him behind. I just kept telling myself if, if I, if I take my life, then I'm leaving him behind. Like who's going to take care of him. I can't leave him because what would he do without me? It wasn't really using the VA because I think there's like 87% of women don't use the VA because of the statistics and us not having the resources that we need. Um, I had, started working for CPS. I was doing my master's degree. I was working as a cosmetologist on the side. Um, I was dealing with all my disabilities and in the VA and the mental health and all of that stuff that I eventually, it kind of just all caught up to me. And because I was so mentally unstable that I didn't, and because I didn't have what I consider a good example of a mom based on what I endured and now knew as an adult, then I told myself my children didn't deserve to they don't deserve to grow up and have a mom like this. They're better off without me. My husband's a great father. He's an amazing person. You know, him having kids like is the best thing that's ever happened to him. And he's always wanted children. So just as it got worse and worse and I just couldn't, I was like, I've tried everything. I've tried everything. And I just said, told myself, and um, this is always the hardest part of my public speaking, but to be like a hundred percent, um, thorough with it is that I told myself if I just, if I do it now, then uh, they're young enough and children are resilient, um, very resilient when they're young, that they won't remember me and that they'll be okay. And they have, you know, a great family between my in-laws and, and my husband and, and just the family that they have here, that they'll be okay. And, and they'll know what to do, you know, to take care of them and make sure that they have everything. Um, and so that's pretty much where that got the worst. And I just, yeah. And I didn't ever say anything to anybody about it. I just continued to spiral down. I worked as hard as I could to make sure that I paid for everything and I provided for everything. But ultimately I just, I never spoke up about it. I never like getting help. I never asked for help on that end. If that makes sense, I would never be honest about it. You did EMDR. Was mm -hmm. that, was, when was that, when you made that decision and how did that help? So out of nowhere, one of the, uh, whether she was a board member or just a member of some sort from Next Step Service Dogs was coming into Fort Worth and she was going to be presenting Air Power Foundation a plaque or thank you for the grant that they had, Air Power Foundation um, other nonprofit, better nonprofits apply for grants. What they do is raise millions of dollars a year, and then they kick that money out to nonprofit, better nonprofits. 
So she was coming here to present them with the board with a thank you during their meeting. And I just happened to be here. So she asked me and my service dog, Coco, to come with them so that they can see a recipient of what their money does, you know, what, what the grant does and how it works. And so I was just supposed to be standing there with, with my dog and just, you know, quiet. The chairman at the time asked me my story. And I was like, I don't, I don't talk, you know? So I was like, uh, <laughs> um, long story short, I kind of told him, you know, brief overview of it. And he asked if I would be willing to speak about it in public. I was like, I don't, I don't speak in public. <laughs> I mean, in the Marine Corps, yeah, I can project, I can sit up there as a leadership. And then I was just like, I mean, I guess. So they went to launch Skyball, which is their, their large fundraiser every year. And we do it at this place called Stall Power. It's just like fancy appliance and floors and stuff. And I spoke for the first time and I told them about my struggles then in California, what led up to me getting a service dog. I did not talk about at that given moment that I had a plan and, and you'd probably never see me again after this type of situation. After I spoke that evening, this gentleman named Eric Niedemeyer came up to me and handed me his card and he was a CEO of Recovery Resource Council. Well, I was familiar with them as a CPS investigator only because they do a lot of drug treatments. Um, and I, so I had no idea that they had a veterans program at all. So he's like, Hey, give me a call. Let's talk. And I was just like calling a CEO. Like what? I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but I did. I was like, okay, what, you know, maybe it's an opportunity. I'm not sure. He took me out to lunch and told me about the veterans program. And within a week I had called, I got an intake within 24 hours after the intake and I was approved for 18 sessions. I had an appointment within 48 hours. And when I went in there, it's not like the VA. They are either the intake person's either a veteran, the counselors are veteran or veteran spouses, or they hundred percent specialize in veterans. So you can have a conversation that's literally military lingo and they're on board and they understand and it was just so calming and relaxing that I started EMDR treatment once she explained it to me and I did 18 sessions of EMDR treatment. So what Taya Kyle, which is the late Chris Kyle's um, wife or widow, um, and I are really good friends. And I met her speaking a couple years down the road. And I always say, I, I don't know how to describe that. I don't know how to say like what happened, but ultimately that it didn't just change my life. It saved my life. And, um, at the time that, you know, I gracefully was trying to take myself to the back of the room from that speaking engagement, Taya Kyle completely intercepts me and just, she's very a God fearing woman. And so am I. And she just looks at me and just tells me that it's, um, a divine intervention. When we do launch Skyball every year, the donors are there. And the donors can hear from like the CEOs and the founders of these different organizations and say, Hey, this is what we do with veterans and whatnot. But there's not, I'm the only veteran that sends in front of them and says, I'm the veteran. I went here. This is what your money did for me. You know, it didn't, it literally didn't change my life. You saved my life. And every year that I speak, I had done something else new. Um, I, you know, finished my bachelor's or I obtained my master's or every year I've made sure that I add something else for them to know what else I'm doing. And then eventually I just got heavily into 
to nonprofit and working with veterans across the DFW area. You were a finalist in the Miss Veteran America competition. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that program and, and why you participated? The underlying, I guess, whole competition thing is we're going to be spreading awareness about homeless female veterans. And I'm like, homeless female veterans. And then I look at the statistics and I see what Final Salute Incorporated is. And they're the ones that uh, created Miss Veteran America. And they're the fastest growing homeless population of all segments. And I was floored. Then I start, then I start digging because again, like I said, research is my thing. I, one will lead to the, uh, another to find out that in, in 2011, that over 60% of places that would provide a shelter for homeless female veterans will not provide them for their children. Or if they do, there's age restrictions and then you run into safety concerns. The reason why that is, is because still today, the VA funding does not cover their children. It only covers the veteran. So then there, then women, homeless female veterans are undercounted. You're not going to find them in the shelters during the national HUD pick, which is where the Herbert, uh, housing urban development goes through in 24 hours and counts every homeless person. And then they separate them from veterans to not, whether on the streets, the shelters, anywhere they can find them. And that's where they gather their data. You're not going to find a homeless female veteran with children in a shelter that it's mainly for men. You're not going to find them on the street for safety. They're going to end up being couch surfing. They're going to end up staying in domestic violence relationships or in a dangerous situation versus, you know, being out in the streets. Um, and so when I saw that, I, I worked in a homeless shelter for part of my internship. I got to experience that firsthand with the overnight shelter. And I saw some of them were veterans and, then I personally know here in Fort Worth, we have a transitional housing for men. It's called the Patriot House, but we don't have anything for women and women aren't accepted there at all, much less their children. Um, thankfully, Union Gospel Mission, where I did my internship, they have a program and each tower has either single women, single men, single men with children, single women with children, and then intact families. But they can, their capacity, they can only take so many. Otherwise, there's nothing else out there for female veterans in this area. And I think we've roughly got a little over 2.2 million people in, in the county I live in. So I saw that and I wanted to be a part of it. So I paid the $100. I entered. I did everything that they required me to do, which as soon as that's approved and done, you're automatically semifinalist. You go through raising money, spreading awareness is what they're really looking at. Our talent across the board is a lip sync. And then we do interviews. I've never worked with women that have the same passion, that are driven, that are like can have a conversation and have differences. And but we're all there on the same platform together and truly be building each other up and be genuine about it. They're phenomenal. And I was like, we just became a part of a tribe and a sisterhood that you would have never convinced me existed all in one place. And so towards the end, ultimately the end results for me personally were I did make top 10. Listen, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't need a crown to do what I do. I don't need a camera to be in front of me. I don't need to take pictures all the time. I am a boots on the ground person and my heart is here. And Texas statistically has the highest amount of homeless female veterans in the whole nation.
Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. That was Sergeant Carolyn Martin, trauma survivor, thriver, among many titles. And if you want to see the long list of accolades and learn more about her, please visit my website at tstpodcast.com under featured guests. That's the letter A, tstpodcast.com. Also, please visit my Patreon community for your chance to be a part of a safe community to be your most authentic self with full access to me. It's not a substitute for therapy, but an extra resource. And if you or someone you know is struggling with mental health, please text HOME to 741-741. I'm Lori Lee Binstock, and you've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Take care.